stop. It never rains at Austin Stadium. Everyone and welcome to a Monday edition of the It Never Rains podcast. Tyson Alger here on a free Monday Monday edition. So if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, we appreciate you guys joining in today. A reminder on Fridays, uh, we have a podcast exclusive for athletic subscribers. Uh, today we are down a member of the It Never Rains group. Aaron Fentress is still traveling back from Pittsburgh where he covered the Seahawks win. Uh, in his place, we're bringing on uh, a, a good friend of ours, uh, Matt Preem from DuckTerritory.com. Um, he does great work down there, and Eugene has been on the beat for a long time and is quite the connoisseur of barbecue. So, uh, hey, Matt, thanks for uh, thanks for taking time out of your morning. Hey, Tyson, how's it going, man? You know, it's it's not too bad. I'm I'm pretty uh, pretty jacked to be moving on to uh, conference play here this week. Even though uh, even though watching uh, Montana was was kind of kind of a cool <laughs> a cool thing for me, but uh, it's, it's it's finally nice to move on to the games that matter. <laughs> it, it seems like Auburn was so long ago, right? Like it, it feels like it was almost a month ago when in reality it was two two and a half weeks. Well, it's it's just it's just funny because there was so so much build up to that game, and 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 we spent. It was essentially by the end of the Red Box Bowl. It was it, how everything was going to be patterned and, and planned towards that Auburn game, and then that game happened, and it was like, oh, okay, what now? <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's it'll, it'll, it, it's exciting that we're at Pac-12 play, though, um, and I I think it's always kind of like fitting. I think for Oregon football to have to face off um, Stanford week one in the conference season or play them early in the conference slate just because this game always just feels like it's a monumental game for one of the two programs and oftentimes it's both and this time around it feels like probably more so for Oregon considering U.S. uh, Stanford's on a two-game losing streak and the way they played last week but it wouldn't be Stanford right if they didn't come out and all of a sudden have their best game against Oregon. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's always fun to kind of have like an early size-up game, which, you know, actually this is a little different this year than last year because coming into the Stanford game uh, a season ago, the Ducks had played Bowling, Portland State, and San Jose State, and a single one of those games gave them a test, and uh, the Ducks definitely got that out of the way here in, uh, in week one with Auburn. Um, we'll, we'll get a little bit more into like the Pac-12 play stuff in a bit, but just, you know, coming out of these three games, what's kind of your biggest takeaway with this team i think it's we want to talk so much about justin Herbert and you know johnny johnson's improvement but i think i think it's the 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 defense for this is that they are legitimately good and it's been a long time i mean think back to oregon football and just the the history of it and they have always been to be an elite offensive team. You know, they win games because the offense is so good. And, you know, they, they go from good to, to elite because they get a defense that's you know, not elite defense, but they're pretty good. And it kind of feels inverse this season in that, you know, Oregon's defense is elite. And if they can get their offense just better than, than good, and, and you know, kind of that borderline elite level, they could be a really, really good football team because the way the defense is playing, they can they can win you a lot of football games. They are going to keep this team in a lot of football games just because of how deep they are, how aggressive they are, 
Uh, I, I've been very impressed with first-year defensive coordinator Andy Avalos. I mean, when when Crystal Ball and Oregon made the decision to mutually part ways with Jim Levitt, I mean that that's a bold move, considering right. the, what Levitt did at Oregon in his two years. And Avalos has 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 taken what Levitt had and and has has made it even better, which is pretty impressive. I I, I think the most impressive thing to me is you know. It, Every year that I've been on the beat, and granted that's only been since 2014, and the Ducks have maybe had two defensive units in that period of time that have been even, you know, okay. You know, I, I guess you could uh, – the 2014 defense was, was was fine, and then Levitt's last two years were, were, were okay. But, you know, there's it's always felt like there's been like a gradual – getting your toes wet period where, where, where the defense, you know, looks like it's getting its communication down or, or whether it's tackling or, or, or any of that. And you haven't seen any of that this year. I mean, th- this has been a unit that's been awfully crisp from like the very first game. And I, I know I saw this going around a little bit on Twitter after uh, in the middle of the wash or the Montana game, but man, it, this feels like the first year that we haven't talked at all about missed tackles. I mean, I mean, these guys are just technically sound and, and, and going after guys. I was just going to say that that I've I mean I've asked Crystal Ball about it I've asked Avalos about it I'm just I'm very impressed with their open field tackles and it's it's everybody right like if if you were to tell me Troy Dye doesn't miss a tackle like okay that's that's because Troy Dye is really good and that's because he's you know one of the best players at his position at Oregon all time but it's everybody it, like. It's the defensive linemen, it's the other linebackers, it's the cornerbacks, it's the safeties. This group has done a very good job. And and Avalos and Cristobal have said that, you know, they've done, they've spent a lot of time working on, I guess, the rugby style of tackling during fall camp and now during the season. And it's paying off and they make a focus of that. And, but that's been like the biggest gripe for Oregon's defense in, you know, for years, right? Is that they consistently, are, you know, it, they miss tackles and a, a two yard gain turns into a four yard gain or a five yard gain. And those little extra yards can add up. And this year it, it's different. You know, it, it's contact guy goes down it, and it, it's pretty impressive to watch. Out of, so the, the, the two star, uh, actually, I guess in this recruiting class, Oregon had kind of three star defensive players in Mace Funa, Kayvon Thibodeau and Michael Wright. And I think that coming into this year, we probably would have projected Wright and Thibodeau to have more of an impact than, than Funa. But, um, you know, it's especially because Funa didn't play football last year as he was dealing with a knee injury and, and came into, came into the, <laughs> into fall camp, like around like 280 pounds or so. And, and he's gotten himself into shape, but, uh, he's got three sacks. He, he leads the PAC 12 in sacks, uh, it's not that Thibodeau has been bad or, or unimpressive. I, I think that just watching Thibodeau, it still seems like he's getting a little bit comfortable out there, but I've been absolutely blown away by what Funa has been able to do. Yeah. Funa's people forget when he, before he committed and before he got hurt his senior year, he was like a, a borderline five-star guy. And when he got hurt and didn't play his senior year, he, he dropped in the rankings because just, you know, guys, we're, we're playing and he wasn't and that's that's how it plays out and then I, I think it's I'm not surprised that he's this good I'm surprised that it happened this quickly because like you said right. he didn't play all his senior year he showed up to fall camp he told me almost at 290 pounds uh when he showed up to Oregon in the, in the summertime 
I mean, that's that's massive for an outside linebacker, inside linebacker. And he even said, like, I, I, I couldn't move the way I, I was used to moving. And, you know, it took me a long time to kind of get to where he's at. I think he's somewhere around 260 right now. Um, but he's he's very good. And I put it out there kind of jokingly during the, the football game. And, um, you know, the, the, the school record, I, I believe, for, for tackles for loss in a season – is 23 and he's already on pace to, to beat that through three games. So it, it, it's, it's kind of one of those, like it's too early to, to be looking at this type of thing, but it's not too early to be kind of thinking about it. Like he's <laughs> like, he, he's just to I me mean, every game, he, he gets a little bit better and he's playing a little bit more. And, you know, it, it was funny. I was talking with one of my coworkers and he replaced Bryson young in a starting lineup. Uh, against Montana because Young was out with an injury. And it's kind of like, what? what's the reasoning that you're going to have to take him out of this? To bring Bryson right? back in. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of I – mean, and that's not to say Bryson Young's not good, but he's just playing at that level where it's kind of like Young's going to have to be really good now to get his – I think to get his starting spots back. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree there. And I, I just think Funa is kind of playing at a level right now. And I mean, this is still just three games in where he's got to be on the field. I, I think that's essentially what it is. He, he's, he's shown that he's been one of the best defensive players on the field for the Ducks, along with, you know, like Javon Holland and, um, you know, some of these these other younger guys that, you know, Oregon's, Oregon's defense is looking awfully good setting up for the next couple of years here. Um Let's uh let, let's let's quickly transition over to the offensive side of the ball. You know we've we've talked about the receivers so much during fall camp and and over these first three weeks as the Ducks have dealt with their injuries. Uh, for people who didn't see on Saturday, Jawan Johnson didn't play again. Brendan Schooler and Michael Micah Pittman are still probably several weeks out. Um, Johnny Johnson has been a, a really nice um, uh, story for the Ducks so far. You know this was a kid a kid that was kind of pretty overlooked coming into camp, you know, players and, and teammates said that he was practicing hard and all that. But a lot of times it's, it's kind of hard to decipher if that's coach speak or teammates. But um, through three games, he's he's has more catches and, and yards than he did all of last season. And, and I, I think even when guys get healthy, he's going to be a, a, a contributor in this offense. Yeah, you have to. This is one of those stories that, like, we're not supposed to be, you know, biased one way or the other, right? But, like, Seeing our mentions last season during during football and the oh, hate he was getting he killed. Got. Yeah, I mean, he was absolutely getting killed, and you know, the fan base, the way they treated him in the offseason, that's like, oh, it's just you know, these new guys are going to come in and they're going to he's they're going to take a spot and whatnot. You have to feel you know a little bit of, of of joy for this guy because he was basically written off last year as a nobody, and he, like you said, he's already got more rece- receptions than he did last year. He's got 223 yards receiving. He's got two touchdowns. He's made, you know, I think he's Justin Herbert's go-to guy. And you're absolutely right. Even if Jawan Johnson comes back, even if Brandon Schooler comes back, even if Micah Pittman comes back from injury, Lance Wilhoy, um, and those guys may be better, but Herbert's kind of established a rhythm, it, it feels like, with, with Johnny Johnson. And he's kind of become his safety valve, even him and Jacob Breland. And so, yeah. you know, I, I, I think that's another guy, too, that, that, has you, you want to see this, especially for Breland, because it's his last year, and you know you want to see guys go out on a high note. Um, both those guys have kind of elevated their play when they've had to, but Johnson in particular looks, 
he, he looks pretty good. He's in the top 10 in the conference in, re, in receiving yards. Uh, I think he's in the top 10 for receptions. Breland's just behind him there as well. Um, you've got now you know, a couple pieces that you feel pretty good about. And then when these other guys get healthy, you're not having to just, hey, go out there and carry us right away. Like, you can right. eat those guys back into the game. I'm 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 awfully confident in Oregon's kind of like short to mid range passing game right now, and and that's kind of what they've been really um, kind of jamming down other teams' throats here over the last two weeks. I, I still really think they're going to need Juwan Johnson to come back healthy to kind of help that vertical game because if, if there's one thing that we have seen Herbert struggle on a little bit here in in the non conference, and granted he hasn't struggled with much. I mean the guy's completing seventy five percent of his passes and hasn't thrown an interception yet. Um, but he hasn't quite been able to kind of like establish that that deep throw with uh, with some of these receivers. And, and that's not necessarily all on the receivers. Herbert, Herbert has thrown, um, you know, some less than perfect balls at times. But uh, I, I do think having a guy like uh, Juwan Johnson out there is, is going to definitely help facilitate that going forward. Yeah, they'll need. I mean, that's where Juwan Johnson and Schooler and Pittman will will help Oregon, because I think right now it's kind of like who who are the guys capable of? you feel like of, of making plays deep downfield on a consistent basis. And I think really the only guy that that feels proven and that you feel you know confident in is Johnny Johnson. Right. Like, right. so it, it's, it's pretty easy for a defense to say like, okay, let's just prevent Johnny Johnson from going over the top. If someone else does, you know, tip your cap, you know, play again, let's, let's just keep going. But, you know, when you add those other guys into the mix, you're going to need a couple of them to be capable of going over the top a little bit and, and you know, providing more explosiveness to the offense. Are you concerned at all about the running game? Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I mean, part of this might be gamemanship, and you know, they, show, they they did a pretty good job, I think, against Auburn. I don't know if I would come out and say like they, you know, were were running the ball at an elite level. I mean. Verdell did, you know, get 14 carries for 76 yards and a touchdown. I mean, he was averaging, you know, 5.4 yards, and he he had 37 uh, 37 yarder against against them ripped off. Um, but at the same time, the last two weeks, you know, against two opponents were quite honestly like these are games that you think Oregon should have over 300 yards rushing, and I. Off the top of my head, I don't remember them doing either of them, you know, getting to that number right. in either of their games. And the the run plays are, okay, they just didn't run for a lot of yards. So they didn't run the ball a lot. And, you know, but they had huge explosion plays in the run game. Like, I, you know, there weren't very many things either where Oregon, any plays, excuse me, where Oregon had these huge long runs. And I think that's a, a concern. And you kind of have to wonder, you know, why – What's going wrong? You know, I think pass protection wise, they've they've shown to be an elite unit up front offensively. Yep. Run wise, they're not very happy about it. I mean, Cristobal, I asked him about it on after the Montana game. He wasn't very happy. So they needed to get better. Uh, after the Nevada game, Shane Lemieux, you know, he said the score hit so many of our issues up front because they scored 77 points. Um, I mean, you look at just the Montana game in general and uh, or the season in general, excuse me, and they've you take out Darian Felix's 62-yard touchdown run against Nevada at the very end, and Sean Dollar's 63-yard run uh, in the fourth quarter with like a minute left against Montana, and Oregon's average drops per carry from 5.1 to 4.01 yards per game. 
I mean, that's right. that's a substantial drop off in two meaningless runs in garbage time. I, mean, that, I think there's something there that you have to wonder, like what's what's wrong. The, the the interesting thing too, and and maybe you would expect this against uh, lesser caliber opponents where there's less speed on the outsides, but I can't really remember any any good chunk yardage coming from runs up the middle. I mean, it seems like everything's just kind of been bounced outside. It, it just feels like the Ducks aren't kind of getting that that push on the inside. Um, and you know, it's I, I always have a hard time in in. Uh, uh, a subscriber brought this up in a comment today of like, well, you can't necessarily not count those two runs, you know, the, the Felix and the dollars, like those definitely count, but it just kind of illustrate, it just kind of illustrates that like Oregon's numbers already are, are very mid range in the PAC 12 in terms of the rushing game. And that, and that's with 120 yards on, on essentially two carries on Oregon's final drives of, of the games. It's just kind of that, that consistency that you want to see from a team that really kind of prides itself and, 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 says its image is is this kind of power running game. These are the last these last two games, Montana and Nevada, are the games right where offensively and defensively your stats are kind of padded because of how dominant you are. Like this is the game where you get like a 500 yard rushing game or a, a game where you 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 go for, you know, 400 and 400, 400 yards rushing, 400 yards passing and your averages are just ridiculous and it kind of evens out a little bit and you know takes a step back because you, the tougher competition starts showing up Oregon's already you know like you said middle of the pack right now and they've played two of their three easiest games of the year so you know their averages are probably going to you know mean a little bit more uh you know closer you know worse than what they've got right now just because the competition goes up a little bit so I I think you have to worry a little bit um it's not all on the offensive line. I think right. every every game is, has had different issues. Um, I think against Auburn, there were some holes that were wide open that Oregon running backs just completely missed. And, you know, chunks of yardage were lost because of it. Uh, against, the Mont- uh, against Nevada, I think there was a situation where Oregon's offensive line just didn't block very well. And, run- and the Oregon running backs just didn't have much of a of, – of, room to wiggle and then against montana i think it was a combination of holes being missed and oregon's offensive line not blocking well okay so we we got pac-12 play coming up here starting this week well i guess the rest of the conference has already kind of gotten underway but um knowing what we know now here's my updated north projections i got oregon and oregon at number one washington state at two washington three cal four stanford five oregon state six tell me where i'm wrong did you say Oregon State at six or Stanford at six? Oregon State at six. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I I, I don't know if <laughs> like I I, don't I, know I, if, I think those that that Washington Washington or Washington State and Cal kind of triumvirate. I think that's pretty clearly like the the second tier. But yes, I, I think I, I think the Ducks look the best out of out of that whole North group coming out of the the, the non. I, I I think Oregon is the the best team in the North. Um, I still have reservations, though, of them beating Washington State. I mean, I, yeah, I felt like yeah. I felt I, I felt like going into the year, like okay, they they can't do this. Is this is going to be? You know, uh, this may sound mean, but um, <laughs> their quarterback situation was going to be you know their equivalent of the Dakota Prukop, right? Right. Where like they went to the grad transfer the second year in a row, 
and you're just going to take a drop off and you're not going to be as good as, as you were the year before with Gardner Minshew. Um, and then the year before that with your four year starter, um, I, I was expecting kind of, you know, the wheels to fall off a little bit at Washington state and it hasn't. And that defense is pretty good still. Um, the, their quarterback is, is good. Their receivers are good. And, you know, it's, I'm starting to believe that Mike Leach has gotten to a point in, the, in his recruiting where it doesn't really matter who leaves his right. system's going to work. And, you know, the fact of the matter is Cougars have won four straight against Oregon and a couple of them haven't been close. And so, you know, while I think Oregon is the better team, you know, I, I still think that that Washington state team could come into Hudson and pull off a, an upset. And, and, you know, that's a weird system to play against, especially if Thomas Graham's not going to be healthy in a couple of weeks. And you know, we don't know Thomas Graham's injury status from from the Montana game, but if it's anything long term, um, you know he that game could you know be one where he's not available. We don't know. I don't want to speculate too much about it, but I, I just think that's going to be a very difficult game. And I, I was pegging the Huskies to be the most difficult game out of the North for Oregon. Uh, I think Washington State's cl- getting pretty pretty close to be to you know that that toughest game in not in, in Pac-12 North play. Yeah, it, it definitely has like that that uneasiness to it. Whereas like in that Washington game, like you kind of feel like that like when when Oregon and Washington play, like the team that this is going to sound really stupid, but the team that has the better game is going to win. Whereas I feel like with Washington State, like there's just so like it, it just seems like one of those teams that just schematically has Oregon's number, and, and we've seen that over the last four years or so. Yeah, it's um, kind of like I mean, I, I, I we we made such a big deal about like a Stanford and Oregon's head like just right around when you showed up for the beat, um, you know, all those, like this Oregon have a Stanford problem. Like it's the same, it's the same thing. Like with Washington state though, like I think they're in Oregon's head a little bit in the fact that, you know, like Oregon has the better players. They probably know they have the better players. Both sides probably know they have the better players. And yet, you know, for whatever reason, the Cougars, you know, the last four years have, have walked off the field as, as the victors. Yeah, I, I feel like that was probably one of the biggest come downs uh, that I've experienced on, on this beat so far was last year coming off the high of the Washington win. And then just the absolute no show for for Washington State with game day and Bowman. And, and that really kind of carried over into the second the uh, next week, too, with uh, Arizona. Hey, I, I know you're you're running up against the clock here, but just really quick on the basketball front um, for, for people who didn't know last year, Matt did a, a, a real cool thing uh, raising. Um, you know, or, Oregon basketball is is, is definitely uh, I, I think the thing Matt's uh, most passionate about. And uh, um, last year, last year you were able to raise a whole bunch of money to uh, get some kids in for a free game, and uh, you're you're doing something similar this year, right? Yeah, we've uh, we announced it a couple weeks uh, months earlier than we did last year. That way, we have ample time to, to prep. But uh, if you go to GoFundMe and just search for you send Eugene kids to a duck basketball game. Um, we're trying to raise five thousand dollars by uh, early part of December, so that we can send kids in the Eugene area, but also just across the state of Oregon, um, and a parent to an Oregon men's or women's basketball game. That's new this year. Last year we just did the men's, but both the men and the women play on the same day, December twenty-first. The the women uh, they play Kansas State, and the men play Texas Southern. So we're we're trying to buy tickets that gets a child and a parent into one of those two games. Um, we're at just over 
$1,200 of our goal, which is pretty good considering it's been it's about a week season. and a half. <laughs> yeah, it's football, it's football season. It's a week and a half. Um, our, our goal, though, is $5,000 by uh, January, by December 1st or thereabouts. So uh, if anyone can uh, just spread the word, that's all I ask. If you can retweet it or if you can email it, put it on Facebook, tell your coworkers about it, tell your you know, friends and family about it. It's a cool deal. Uh, a lot of kids got to go last year for the first time and hoping to do that again this year. All right. Give me give me just the one minute spiel on Oregon basketball. They look pretty good this year, don't they? Which one, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, very, we, very good point. Well, I, I mean, we I mean, it, it, it was, a, it, I mean, it was assumed that the women are going to be good, right? I, I think the men were yes. a bit more of the question mark heading heading, heading into the off season. Yeah, the women, the women are probably going to be number one in the country. The men, uh, at one point, had three scholarship players, but Dan Altman again has found ways to to reload his roster, and he's got a team that's got a five star on it. Two, actually, two five stars. Uh, multiple top 50 guys. Peyton Pritchard's back after the Pac-12 Player of the Year and the or Pac-12 Tournament Most Outstanding Player Award. Um, they're going to be good. They're probably a top 15 team, maybe top 10. Some outlets have them in the top 10. So uh, if you're a fan of basketball, Eugene's going to be a popular spot this winter from the men and the women's perspective. Awesome. Well, hey, that that's really cool stuff you're doing with uh, um, getting the kids to the games. And uh, for anybody that wants to follow Matt, uh, they can find him on Twitter. It's at Matt Prem, P-R-E-H-M. I'm a little upset it's not the the Mr. 247 anymore, but um, <laughs> uh, for, for his barbecue takes, you can check out at Prem's Barbecue. Um, all, all his work along with, uh, uh, his talented colleagues at duckterritory.com and, uh, Hey, really, uh, appreciate you having, or coming on, Matt. I know, uh, I know this is really early for you, uh, internet guys. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess Why I'm part you of talking about now. Too. You're part of that group <laughs> yeah. now as well. Yeah. All <laughs> no right, problem, man. We'll, we'll... I enjoy doing it. All right. Once again, we'd like to thank Matt Prem for taking time to uh, fill in for Fentress today, uh, who will be back on Friday as we prepare for Oregon versus Stanford down on the farm in Palo Alto. Um, we'll have another podcast coming out on Friday. That one is available exclusive to athletic subscribers. Remember, uh, this this Monday episode is, is free and open to everybody. We would really appreciate any sort of reviews and ratings or heck, even some su- suggestions because we're still still in the the first few weeks of this thing and and obviously trying to uh, fine tune it and make it better. So uh, I really appreciate everyone's time and we'll be back on uh, Friday for a subscriber only version of It Never Rains. Hey there listeners, we're excited to share some big news. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead and we know you're going to love it. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-hosts Kavita Davidson and Anders Keltel will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there and check out theathletic.com forward slash The Lead to read stories featured on The Lead. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do, what do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. 
stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. And at the buzzer, oh, he knocks it down! Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score, five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The lead. Sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.